Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Good morning. You guys good? It's cooler outside. It's less. It's not 100 degrees. Feels good. Feels good. Are you ready for the word today? Yes. All right. Very good. We're going to get my table over here, and then we'll get going. I have a couple of announcements before we get into it too deep. Um, so this Wednesday, we are having a women's service. So if you're a woman, you can come. If you're a guy, sorry. They just leave us out. But it's going to be good. Um, so some of you are going to this Pursuit Women's Retreat. It's in October 14th to the 15th at Lakeview Camp. Who's going to the Women's Retreat? All right. I need more hands than that. Come on, guys. You got you to get on the ball here. So uh, at this retreat, Stacy Carthart is a speaker, and she's going to be here Wednesday to kind of give you a preview of that and talk about how we can be more involved in women's ministry. Uh, Holland is also going to be a special guest at Pursuit, if you know who she is. And there's going to be some awesome worship time as well. So if you haven't signed up for that, uh, Holly says you can still sign up, correct? So the flyer's on the back table back there. And I'm just going to be up here, but you can't see it, so it doesn't do you any good. Um, but it's going to be good. So this Wednesday at 6 o'clock, 6, not 7 like normal, 6 o'clock, you're going to be in this building over here. Ladies, just come over. It's going to be a good time. Um, you're going to have some snacks, right? So even... See, we're left out, guys, but we'll just do something else. But we're going to have fellowship, worship, guest speaker, just for women, 6 to 8 o'clock. Child care will be provided, so come be ministered to. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great time. Looking forward to it. And I'm a little jealous, but it's, it's all good. So, um, Also, guys, if you sign up for Discover Class, uh, we move that to Wednesday at 6.30. So this Wednesday at 6.30. We're going to be doing Discover Class. And if you miss this one, don't worry. We do it every month. And so you can sign up next month as well. And we're just going to try this new schedule, see if it fits everybody's uh, time a little better on Wednesdays. So are you ready for the word? Let's pray and we'll get into it. Father God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for this journey through Acts that we're taking together, Lord, that you're teaching us how to be your church, how to truly listen to you, how to truly follow you how to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we dive into scripture today, that you would open up our eyes to who you are, that your spirit would speak to us, that we would know exactly who you are and what you do in our lives. Thank you for your ministry, Jesus. I pray that today we understand fully your full ministry for us and to us and what you do for us through the Holy Spirit. We love you and we thank you, God. I pray that you open my mouth to speak your words. God, I pray that you'd open the, the hearts to receive what you have to say. We love you. We thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me open with this. Have you ever had any of those moments where you're expecting a package and you think you got it, but you never find it? 
You know, we get a lot of stuff from Amazon, right? Yeah, and sometimes they drop it in the weirdest spots. And they don't, I mean, they're pretty good about taking pictures now. But but one time I was waiting for this package, and I'm like, I haven't got it in weeks. And I actually called and told them that I didn't get it. But the next day I go outside by the garage, it's like hiding behind the trash can. Because, you know, I didn't take the trash out. So if I would have took the trash out, maybe I would have found it. But it was hiding there, and I'm like, oh, the package I've been waiting to receive for weeks. I finally found it. And, you know, it wasn't anything that was, like, time-consuming, so it didn't, like, go bad or anything. But it was a package I was waiting for, but yet I hadn't received it, even though it was delivered to my house. I didn't receive it because I never picked it up and opened it up and received it properly. And I think there's a lot of believers that have, haven't done that with the Holy Spirit. Like, Jesus has given us his spirit, but a lot of us haven't truly received him completely and opened up the total gift of the Holy Spirit in their life. And I understand today there's going to be some teaching today that that may be difficult for you, that may be against some of the things that maybe you've been taught, brought up. Um, I was brought up in all kinds of different backgrounds uh, in faith. My mom took me to every church you could think of, uh, Baptist church, Methodist church, uh, Foursquare, uh, super Pentecostal where, you know, they didn't wear makeup and they all were, you know, those, those places. So I've experienced the swath of all there is. And, and, and I know that we're in the Bible belt and I know that we're in uh, a town that's, that primarily thinks that the gifts of the spirit are not exactly still operating today. And I want, I want to tell you today that they are still in operation today, that the Holy Spirit still operates the same that he did back as we read in Acts. And and I want to open this up to you and maybe help you think a little bit through this because I'm I'm going to come up against some of the things that we've been taught or maybe we've learned um, through some well-meaning people, but also we're going to look at it from a different angle today and open it up. And I'm just going to let Scripture speak to you today. I don't have to defend God in this. I don't have to defend the Bible in this because that's what Scripture says and we either believe it or we don't. And so we're just going to open it up. So keep an open mind today. Maybe you're, you're going to have a hard time with some of these things that I talk about today, but still just keep an open mind because I keep an open mind and say, well, is, is this true or is it not true? Dig it out. Remember we talked about this. Go dig it out. See if it's true or not. Don't just take my word for it. Search it out. Seek it out. God will meet you in that place and he will give you the truth. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, um, and so we're journeying through Acts like I talked about, and so Paul is about on the very back half of his second missionary journey, and he's heading back home, and then it picks up this story of this other guy out of nowhere, like Luke just brings this guy up um, and talks about what he's doing and how God speaks, uses him powerfully, and how him and Paul kind of build this rivalry, but it's not really a rivalry. It's kind of a weird thing. So we have Acts chapter 18. So if you Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to start at verse 24. So Paul's on the way back home. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. So Alexandria was like the center hub of knowledge uh, back then. And so he was coming up and he was well-educated, we know this, and he, was, he had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. So we need to really hold on to those two things, okay? That he, was, he, he taught with enthusiasm, he was a great speaker, but he also was very accurate about the things of Jesus. And so, however, 
He knew only about John's baptism. So he knew a whole lot, but he only knew about the baptism of John. And so when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, remember these two, they were married and they were partners with Paul in the Corinth. And so they meet them somehow they get to, it explains in the prior scripture that they're moving, they go back to Ephesus and they meet him here. And so they meet up with him. And so Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue. They took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. So obviously, Apollo, he knew a lot about the Lord. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He, he, he knew about the resurrection. He knew that Jesus was who he said he was, but yet he was still missing some minor details, but they're actually major details. And Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching like, man, this guy's good. This guy knows about Jesus, but he doesn't know the full gospel. And I've had people ask this question before. You know, I see these churches that say full gospel on them. What is that? What does that mean? Well, you know, what is, what is the full gospel? Well, the gospel is more than just you being saved and going to heaven. That's part of it. The full gospel is all in reaching life, all of it. The gospel, the good news of Jesus affects everything, not just your eternity, but your whole life. And so the full gospel is all what Jesus has done and has done for you and wants for your life. That's the full, that's the good news. The gospel is the good news. It's the full gospel. And so he didn't have the full gospel. He had part of it. And so it, he, Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and said, Apollos, man, there's so much more that you don't know about. Let me tell you about this. Remember, I sat with Paul and we taught, you know, Paul taught us, and I'm going to pass this on to you about the Holy Spirit, about this other baptism that you haven't experienced yet and, and about what John the Baptist baptism was and how Jesus fulfilled that. And so he goes in and tells them about that. And so then we pick up in verse 27, Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. It's like, go, man, you, you go and you just preach the gospel there and get people saved. Apollos, you know, now go do it. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. And when he arrived there, he proved to be a great benefit to those who by God's grace had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, we don't get the word apologetics from Apollo. Now, a lot of people think that is possibly where we get it. But really, apologetics is really just defending your faith. It's, it's saying, this is how you believe, but this is what Scripture says, and this is how we can understand it. Apologetics is, is, is basically defending your faith, and it's good for us to know apologetics. It's good for us to know how to defend our faith against people who say, well, if God's a good God, then why does this happen? And that's a very simple one, right? Or apologetics are very important to, to, to know. And so Apollos was really good at this. He, he would go in, he would defend the gospel. He would say, no, no, look. This is what the scriptures say. I know you think this, but this is what the scriptures say. I know you said that, but this is what the scriptures say. And a lot of apologetics is, I know you believe that, but this is what scripture says. I know that, but look, this is, this is the truth. And so that's what a lot of apologetics is. So I want to look at Apollos and kind of look at his life before we get into the rest of the passage and open this up a little bit more. So we, what do we know about Apollos? He was saved. He accepted Christ. He believed because he's preaching about Jesus. And so he knew about Jesus. He, he talked to Jesus and he believes Jesus, believes in Jesus. And he was a powerful orator. 
And he spoke well. He spoke really well. We also see later in Scripture, it talks about this rivalry that happens between Paul and, and, and Apollos. And it's really not, they didn't start it. The people in Corinth started it because they were kind of picking sides. So we see this, that, that Paul and Apollos were partners in the Corinthian church. They partnered, not together. They were never together partnering, but they co-labored in the work of the church in Corinth and in Ephesus a little bit. But we also see a great deal of people were following people and not Jesus. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, look, some say I follow Paul. Some say I follow Apollos. Some say I follow Cephas or, or Peter. But he says, no, you don't need to follow us. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And, and a lot of believers, they fall away because the person they're following falls away or, or, or something bad happens. You see this a lot in churches, right? The pastor leaves and oh, he's gone. I'm leaving. You know, we follow people instead of following God. And, and, and Paul was reminding the people in Corinth, don't follow us. We're just messengers. Don't follow us. Follow God. And if you're going to follow us, follow us while we follow God. Right? It's like, just, just follow God. Let that be who you follow. Don't, don't pick sides here. Don't follow people. And we also know he didn't know the full gospel. We don't know exactly what he knew and what he didn't know. The text doesn't give us that in Scripture. But we know, and we can deduct, that he knew Jesus was the Messiah. He loved the Lord. And obviously, the gospel led him to share his faith. Yet he only knew of John's baptism. So what did Aquila and Priscilla, actually what did Priscilla and Aquila, that's very, that's very different in Scripture to have the woman's name first. So obviously Priscilla was very... Uh, had a lot of influence in the, their early church. And see, here's, what the word, here's where it gets muddy. Here's where maybe you've heard different things or maybe you've been explained it a different way. Here's where the waters really get muddy about what Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos and the rest of this passage. And now many theologians disagree about what they taught, but we have a pretty good idea of what happened next if we just read the next passage. And so why did Luke see fit to write these two stories side by side? I know they kind of happened in the same time period. But as we look at this next instance, I, I don't think that this was like a, an isolated thing. I don't think that this is the very first time that Paul bumped into disciples that didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. I think this was pretty a normal thing. But Luke, I believe, puts it in there for a reason. So let's open that up in verse chapter 19. And so while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus. And on the coast where he found several believers, okay, other translations say disciples, but it's the same meaning, other believers. Did you receive, here's the question, and here's the question we're going to ask a lot today. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. And here's the response. No. They replied. We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And then John's like, I mean, then, then Paul asks him, then what baptism did you experience? And he, and he said, and they replied, the baptism of John. And Paul said this, John's baptism called for repentance of sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. 
And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and they prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. These men were disciples. These were believers. Now, you may have heard that they were not believers of Jesus, but they were just basically disciples of John the Baptist. But here's, here's where I want to kind of point this, because you may be taught that, you maybe have learned that. But Luke, in no other gospel or no other time does he, does, he separate, does he say that these guys are disciples of John the Baptist. And if they were disciples of John the Baptist, he probably would have said it. Now, this is, just listen to me, okay? Before you throw things at me. Because also you look in Luke in his other accounts, he very specifically says the disciples of John the Baptist, when they came to, to, to Jesus to say, are you really the Messiah? Because John wants to know, are you really the Messiah? And so why would Luke leave that out? These were believers. They believed in Jesus, but they had only, they had only experienced the baptism of John. Now, maybe they were baptized by John himself. We don't know. But the, but the baptism of John was, was this. It was repentance from sins. You see this. And what was John's ministry? John the Baptist's ministry was to pave the way for Jesus. And so his preaching was, hey, Jesus is coming. You better repent because the Messiah is coming. So you get baptized, right? And you get clean. You better be clean when he comes because he's going to judge the world. And so that was John's baptism. It was actually paving a way for Jesus. And so John's baptism really is obsolete for us believers. We don't go into the baptism of John. We baptize into Jesus. When we baptize somebody in water, it's baptizing them into the body of Christ. It's identifying with his death, his burial, and resurrection. That, I'm teaching deep here, but you just got to follow me. And so that's what we do as believers today. And these guys didn't know that. All they knew was the baptism of John. Because you got to remember, these guys didn't have any of this. All they had was the Torah. Mark hadn't been written yet. The Gospels haven't been written yet. Most of the letters haven't even been written yet. So they were just going off of what people were telling them and what they experienced. And so here comes Paul. He sees the disciples and he says, hey, you believe in Jesus? They're like, yeah. Did, what, did you receive the Spirit? Like, what? What Spirit? I didn't know there's a Spirit. Well, then what baptism did you experience? Well, the baptism of John for, it's like, well, let me tell you about John's baptism and let me tell you about these other ones. So they get baptized in water in the name of Jesus. He lays hands on them and they get baptized in the spirit and they speak in tongues and they prophesy, all 12 of them. So that's what we know. And I want to talk to you today about the work of the spirit in the unbeliever's life and also in the believer's life. And I'm going to ask you a question today. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the gift that Jesus sent you when you believed? Because when you believe in Jesus, he sends this gift to you. And he wants you to receive him into your life and allow him to work in your life. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look a little bit about this gift and how we can receive completely the gift of the Holy Spirit. So 
So how does the Holy Spirit work in the unbeliever? Well, let's look at that first. So Jesus says this, John 16, 5 through 11. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. This is Jesus telling the disciples, I'm leaving. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate or the comforter or the paraclete, whatever you want to call it, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Jesus sends him. He had to go so the Holy Spirit, he had to ascend so the Holy Spirit could descend. And when he comes, he will do this. And here's the work in the unbeliever. He will convict the world of its sins and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. He's like, well, then he explains a little deeper. He goes, the world's sin is this, that it refuses to believe in me. It refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available Here's the good news. Because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So this world convict is a verb. It's like to declare or expose the truth. So the Holy Spirit comes and works in this world to expose the truth to unbelievers. The, the truth is this, to convict unbelievers that I'm a sinner. I don't like that word. Okay. I'm, I'm a wrongdoer. <laughs> it's like, I'm a lawbreaker. I'm a sinner. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. I'm not righteous. And, and the Holy Spirit also convicts us that, that God alone is righteous, that he is our standard, that, that, that he is the one that makes us righteous. And he also, this is going to sound strong, but he also comes to let us know and convict us that I'm bound for judgment. I'm bound for hell with the one that I follow, which is Satan. You're like, oh, that's, that's stout. But it is. Because if you're not following Jesus, who are you following? Well, I'm pastor, I'm following myself. No. No, you're not. That's, that's, sat that, <laughs> that's, why the, that's why Satan fell. You're following his ways. See, Satan followed himself and he was cast down to earth. Likewise, following ourselves or any other way will lead to the same thing. And I know that's, that's awful. That sounds bad, right? But you know what? There's good news. That's what makes the gospel such good news is that I have sinned, but that doesn't define me. Jesus is the righteous one. God is the righteous one. And he came so that I may be saved. For the unbeliever to understand that, that is only the gift of the Holy Spirit revealing that to them, that I'm a sinner. No other way would I understand that I'm a sinner. If you ask, a, if you ask an unbeliever that, that the Holy Spirit hasn't really worked on, are you a sinner? Like, well, no, I'm a good person. What do you mean? I, I give to charity. I, I don't beat the neighbor's dog. You know, I don't, I'm a good person. But when the Holy Spirit convicts you, your, your first response is this, I'm a sinner. I'm not righteous, but God is righteous. That is my, that's what I line up to is God's righteousness. And you can never line up to God's righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit convicts the unbeliever that he is not righteous, that he is there, in fact, a sinner, but also that there's a judgment coming. And then you're like, well, 
If I'm not right with God and God is right and there's a judgment coming, how do I become right? Through Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life, drawing you to faith, drawing you to say, yes, Jesus, to confess that Jesus is the Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He convicts us, and, and because he convicts us, we confess. The word confess there is homologeo. It's basically, it's, it's saying the same thing. And so when you confess to Jesus that I'm a sinner, you're confessing exactly what he's saying. He's like, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm righteous. You're righteous. I'm going to judge the world. You're going to judge the world. And he's like, but I love you and I want to save you. You love me and you save me. That's confessing. That's to say the same thing. Only the Holy Spirit gives us that knowledge. Peter, when he was talking with Jesus and they were walking together, Jesus asked his disciples, guys, who do you say I am? Or who, did, who do people say I am? Some said, well, you're John the Baptist, even though, you know, because he just, or you're, you're, or you're a prophet or you're a good teacher. And, and then he says, well, who do you say, who do you say I am? And Peter stands up, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter in the eyes and says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Only the father revealed that to you through the spirit of God. And for anybody who's come to faith, it's because the Holy Spirit convicted you and you confessed. In Romans, in Romans 10, it talks about how we confess and we get right with God. He says, he says this, when you believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, then you will be saved. When you believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is and you confess with your mouth, when you say the same thing, that Jesus, you are my Savior and my Lord. Scripture says it's impossible for anybody to say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's so active, even when you don't see it in believers' lives. So if you're dealing with somebody and you're praying for them to come to faith, pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal God to them. Pray that God, that the Holy Spirit would start to convict their heart and show them who he is. It's only the work of the Holy Spirit that draws men to God. He's very important. That's why Jesus ascended so he can descend because Jesus is coming back. And until he comes back, the Holy Spirit's still active and working in unbelievers and believers. But for those who have believed, there's so much more. It's like, what's behind door number two, right? It's like, and there's so much more for you <laughs> as a believer. It's not just getting into heaven. There's so much more for you as a believer. That's what the Holy Spirit work in our life is. And that's what they explained to these disciples and to Apollos. It's like, you got it. You got most of it, but there's so much more, guys. You're missing it. And Paul tells these guys, look, the, the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life. He wants to do some things in your life. He wants to empower you. He wants to change who you are. He wants to begin act, become active in your life. <laughs> but we have to 
receive the gift. We can't just leave it on the doorstep or behind the trash can. We have to receive it. We have to just simply say, okay, Holy Spirit, you work in my life. So here's the ministry of Jesus. So what is the full, what is the full gospel? It's this. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. I know some of you can probably quote it word for word. But it says this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. I got this in the NKGV, so you know it's like legit, right? Because in the King James. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. This is Jesus. He uses this. To preach the good news of the tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion or the mountain of God, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. This is good stuff. I love this, that they may be called trees. Other translations say oaks. Like you're not some little sapling, little elm tree. You are an oak of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, he plants you. Why? So that he may be glorified. Other translations say for his splendor. This is the ministry of Jesus. He saves us, preach the good news to, to the poor. I'm here for you. He healed the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted? He, he heals up. He binds up brokenhearted. He gives you freedom. Proclaim liberty from the captives. Open the prison doors to those who are bound. Are you bound up by things? God, Jesus came to set you free. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance. Come on, there's a judgment coming. Jesus is coming back. To comfort those who mourn. To console those who are sad to give them beauty from their ashes. That's restoration, renewal, something new. A garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. I need that one. How many of you have a spirit of heaviness? You're just depressed. You're full of anxiety. You just walk around and you feel like something's on, on top of you and you don't know what it is. It's a spirit of heaviness. And Jesus says, I come to give you garments of praise. That they may, <laughs> sorry, just my mind went crazy. You know, when I was a teenager, I had the parachute pants. You remember those? Yeah, that's my garment of praise. Do some, <laughs> you know, do some break dancing, man. If I break dance now, something's going to break. That's for sure. <laughs> it's garments of praise. Garments of praise. Now that's. I'm not going to remember nothing else today, just that. <laughs> but that's the ministry of Jesus. And he completes that through the work of the Spirit. The Spirit's ministry to the believers is this. I have a big list here, and it's not all, it's not all, it's not all of it. This is just part of it. We don't, I mean, I could teach on months on this stuff. But here's just some simple things that the Spirit's ministry is to us. First thing, he empowers us. I didn't put the scripture passage up there, but if you have a pen and paper, you can write these down. So you see in Acts chapter 1, 4 through 5, 
Jesus is sitting and eating with his disciples. He commands them. He's commanding them. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. Don't leave here until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water. Here's that, the baptism of John again. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Saying he's going to empower you. Don't leave town without it. Don't leave home without him, right? He empowers you. He's going to empower you to be a witness. You don't have to worry about going out into the world and witnessing and telling people about Jesus. He's with you. He empowers you. You don't have to worry about it. He comforts. John 14, 15 through 17. Jesus says this, if you love me, obey my commandments. Pretty simple. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or a helper or a comforter. He will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him. Why? Because they're not looking for him. These disciples weren't looking for the Holy Spirit. They didn't know he existed, but they did. I mean, if they're any kind of Jew, they know that the Holy Spirit existed. But they didn't know from whence it came or how, how to receive. Because it's not looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him, believer, because he lives with you. And he's telling his disciples he lives with you now, but he's also going to be in you. And he's going to comfort you. And he's also going to leave you, lead you to truth. Same passage. He's going to lead you to truth. Give you greater understanding of Jesus. He also gives us spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11 says this. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. Remember the Corinthians? Messed up people. But he says this. Guys, brothers and sisters, regarding your question about special abilities or the gifts of the Spirit, the special abilities the Spirit gives us. I don't want you to misunderstand this. And this is really nice with the NLT. Most translations say, I don't want you to be ignorant about the, the, the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along and worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, remember I talked about this earlier, except by the Holy Spirit. And then he opens it up. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. Where do we get them from? The Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same, we serve the same Lord. So we're all working in this together. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Not so that we can make a name for ourselves or, or, or I'm real leery if people go up, you know what? I'm a prophet. I'm like, really? Who told you you're a prophet? Well, I did. I'm real leery. Now, there may be people that work in that. I, I do believe the spiritual gift of prophecy is still available today. There's people that work in that gift. But if, some, if, you, if somebody has to tell you their gift, there's an issue with that. It should be like, okay, I can see that in you. That's working in you. Thank you. It's encouraging me. It's lifting me up. So it all works together. Let's, let's go back to that. So God works in different ways, but in the same God who does the work in all of us, a spiritual gift is to each of us so that we can help each other, to build each other up. Another, he goes, the one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise, wise advice 
to another, the same Spirit, same Spirit, Holy Spirit, gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. The gift of healing is still available, guys. I did a lot of studying for this this week, and, and I looked at different viewpoints. And, and one teacher, he actually taught at a college, he's a professor, very well known. And he says, you know, because they were asking about if the gifts were still going today. He was a cessationist, meaning that they believe that, that all the gifts of the Spirit, all these things passed away when the apostles passed away. That's a cessationist, that the gifts of the Spirit are not available today. And he was speaking, and he, he was asking this, answering this question, are the gifts still available to the believers today? And he said, he goes, well, I don't believe so. And here's why I don't believe so. Because I've never seen anybody with the gift of healing. I've never seen anybody get healed. And, and I'm like, that's the stupidest reason to make a deduction because you haven't seen it. Because you know what? I've seen it. I've seen people get healed. I've seen people give words of prophecy. I've seen people with great faith. I've seen every one of these gifts active and working. I see it in the church. I see it in you guys. And to say just because you don't see it, you don't believe it, I think we've got a problem there. You need to seek it out. I said this before in the last time I was speaking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the gifts. Seek to understand, right? We need to understand. We need solid knowledge and understanding of how the gifts operate and why they operate and why God gives them. But we also need to seek to experience them. So we seek to understand, but yet we seek to experience. Because when we experience it, we understand it deeper. So seek to understand, yes, but also seek to experience. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, another the ability to prophesy, he gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or another spirit. We need to have some discernment there. Is it the Spirit of God, the Spirit of man, or the Spirit of the evil one? Still, another person is given the ability to speak in other languages or tongues, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said or interpret the tongues. It is the one and the only Spirit who distributes all of these gifts, and he alone decides which gift each person should have. He gives us gifts. I'm not going to teach on that too much, but he gives us gifts. He also guides us. We read in Acts 16, where Paul was wanting to go one place, but the Holy Spirit kept him from going. Remember this passage back in Acts 16. It says, Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phagria and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed toward the north, of the province of Bithynia, but again, the Spirit of Jesus, he just said Spirit, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, did not allow them to go there. We don't know what he did. They just, we know the Holy Spirit kept them from going. So instead, they went through Masia to the seaport of Tros. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God had called us to preach the good news to those in Macedonia. 
So God was like, no, don't go there. No, don't go there. I have somewhere else for you to go. Well, where do you want me to go? I'm going to give you a vision. It's okay to ask the Holy Spirit for directions. I think a lot of people leave out the door without asking the Holy Spirit what he wants to do in their life, and they miss opportunities. We should wake up and say, okay, Holy Spirit, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do today? God, if I see an opportunity, give me the strength to speak life into people. Now, there's some people ask if, you know, they take the next step. That's a little extreme. You know, Holy Spirit, can I take a step? No, maybe can I take this one? It's a little extreme. But I'm saying, ask the Holy Spirit. He'll show you. If you're not sure where to go, he will show you where to go. If you're, if, you're, if you're trying to decide on what job to take, if you're trying to decide on these other things, ask the Holy Spirit because you know what? You can read scripture. It's not going to tell you who to marry. It's not going to tell you where to live. Now you can flip it open and go, hmm, Asia Minor. Let's go there. <laughs> but he's not going to give you those details. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. He's the one that leads us. So he guides us. He also sanctifies us, and he gives us fruit. Galatians 5, 16 through 23 says this. So I say, this is Paul again, let the Holy Spirit guide, here he goes, a guide, guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. These are orgies, wild parties. Wild parties, these things. Let me tell you again, as I had before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're not living by the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces something in us. Our old nature, our old man, produces all these things. Immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry. But the Spirit in us produces something good, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. All the kids are like kids' church, right? Faithful, gentleness. Self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Be guided by the Spirit. He sanctifies us, meaning he makes us more and more like Jesus. It's his job. He produces the fruit. And the last thing I want to say, he gives us unity. Ephesians 4, 3 4, through 4. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the what? In the Spirit. Binding yourselves with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Unity is brought in by the Spirit. How many of you have been maybe in a store or maybe in a coffee shop and, and you just see somebody and there's like a unity? Not like, oh, she's hot or he's hot, but just a unity, right? It's like, oh, that person's a believer. And you know that immediately. It's the Holy Spirit. You have the same Spirit. There's something about believers. You just love believers. There's just a love there. You don't have to fabricate it. You don't have to do anything. I can meet a total stranger, and there's something in our spirits. I'm like, I love this person because they're a believer. And I didn't produce it. 
I don't know anything about them, but there's just something there. I know you probably witnessed this. That's unity being built by the Spirit. And so my question is this to you. It's the same as Paul asked these guys. Did you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive it? Did you even know you had it? Did you know that Jesus sent it? Maybe some of you didn't even know that. So if I can get the worship team to come up and the prayer team to come up, I want to ask you this question again. Did you receive this beautiful gift, this grace gift of the Holy Spirit? Maybe you just left it in your mailbox. Maybe it's sitting on your front door. Maybe you've even brought it into your house, but you haven't opened it. Not the complete work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, don't get me wrong. When you believe, the Holy Spirit resides in you. But for him to become active in faith and, and, and baptize you, that's a whole different work. And we can experience that. All you got to do is ask. Just like when Paul reached his disciples, what baptism did you experience? Well, the one that John gave us. Hmm. There's so much more, guys. I'm going to baptize you in the name of Jesus, but then I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And something happened. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. You see this normative all through Scripture. Normative means normal. When people are filled with the Spirit, these two things usually accompany them. And so I'm going to ask you today, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you get the gift that Jesus sent you when you believed in him? If you know, you know. I mean, there's no denying it. If you, if, if you received it, you just know. But if you're like, man, I don't know. My life hasn't changed at all since I believed in Jesus. Like, I'm still the same person. Nothing shifted, nothing changed. I just said the prayer and went about my business. You didn't receive the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I guarantee you didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life. But today you can receive that. All you have to do is come and ask. And so we see in Scripture that people, that the apostles would come, the disciples would come, they'd lay hands on them, and they'd pray over them, and they would receive the Holy Spirit. And so we want to take that opportunity today. If you want to be baptized in the Spirit, come up. We're going to pray for you. So I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and to stand with me. We're going to pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Lord, because of that, because of that beautiful gift that you've given to me, Lord, my life has been changed forever and ever. Lord, I know that many in this church have experienced that baptism, have experienced the full work of Christ in their life. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that you are always working, that you are always drawing. And Lord, there may be some today that are not believers, but Holy Spirit, you've been speaking to them. You've been convicting them. And Lord, it's time for them to confess that yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, you are righteous, God. Yes, you are going to judge, but Lord, you've come to save me. Let them confess that today, Lord. And there's some today, Lord, that just need to simply open the gift that you give them, that you've placed inside them.
And Lord, I pray right now, God, is that, that they would come up, that they get prayed for, for whatever they need.